Hey, Bankless Nation. Welcome to another episode of State of the Nation. Super exciting topic to discuss today. That is the release. It just happened just a few minutes prior to us getting on the live stream, hitting record. Arbitrum Nitro launched. Arbitrum, of course, you guys remember, that is an Ethereum roll-up, uh, the largest to date in terms of total locked value, and they just released a major upgrade. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what's so special about it. Uh, we're going to talk about how it's a scaling Ethereum, and there's a lot more. David, uh, what else are we going to cover this episode with Harry and Steven from Arbitrum? Ryan, I opened up the uh, YouTube just now just to you know do what I'd normally do and monitor the live stream. And out of like the 12 or 13 comments, I mean, eight of them were when token, when RB token. Uh, <laughs> and so I am, of course, going to ask the Arbitrum team when token at the very end. As is tradition. very, very end. So all the people are going to have to stick around to the very end of the show <laughs> in order to hear these questions. But there are also some, some other developments, not just in the Arbitrum 1 ecosystem, because Arbitrum 1 is no longer the one and only Arbitrum chain. There is a new Arbitrum chain, Arbitrum Nova. Arbitrum 2? Arbitrum, oh, no, no, nope. <laughs> no, nope. <laughs> um, but there's plenty of details to unpack with Arbitrum uh, Nova. And so, so much going on in the Arbitrum ecosystem, and we're going to unpack it all here today uh -huh. on the State of the Nation. It's going to be exciting to talk about also uh, a message from our sponsor and our friends at SmartCon. This is a conference put on by the folks at Chainlink. We love this conference. I've attended it virtually because it's only been virtual. But to this year is the first year it's actually in person. It is happening September 28th to 29th in David's new hometown of New York <laughs> City. Look at the speaker list, David. Yeah. Read some of these names out for people. We've got Eric Schmidt, the former CEO of Google, Sergey Nazarov of Chainlink, Balaji from uh, Bankless Podcast, just kidding, CTO of Coinbase, <laughs> uh, Sam Bankman Fried from FTX. We got Kane from uh, Kane and Stani from Synthetics and Ave. And of course, Ed Felton, co founder of, uh, of Arbitrum, uh, not on the show today, but on the Arbitrum team, of course, as well, all showing up for SmartCon in New York in person. There's a link in the show notes if you want to get your ticket. And if you want your ticket to be costing less money, you can use the code bankless uh, nice. to have a discount. I want that. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, the gold bankless discount. We're hooking you guys up. Uh, that's bankless.cc slash smartcon. That'll get you that discount if you type in bankless where they ask for the code. David, got to start with the question. I always ask in each one of these episodes, what is the state of the nation today? Ryan, the state of the nation is upgrading. Upgraded. Uh, and this is also a slight disclaimer. Uh, the Bankless live stream ecosystem has gotten a facelift. Uh, and so there are now many more buttons for me to DJ this live stream. And there's many more like things. And, and it's overall better and more complicated. Oh, wait, I'd say. Are you saying it's been upgraded? It's is been upgraded. It's been upgraded. Okay. <laughs> and so uh, if the stream gets weird, I'm sorry about that. But we were also recording locally. So no matter what, this podcast episode will happen. Uh, but not only is Arbitrum Nitro getting a huge upgrade, which is the main focus of the show, but this is also a disclaimer that uh, the Bankless live stream infrastructure has also gotten upgraded and it's a little bit overwhelming because it's the first time. So that's also a disclaimer. There, there you go. Two, two upgrades at the same time. Uh, so far, Arbitrums has been really successful, not a hitch. Hopefully, mm -hmm. we have the same luck with uh, the Bankless yeah. live stream today, David. Yeah. And you know, it strikes me, it's not only uh, Arbitrum and Bankless that's getting an upgrade. It's also Ethereum mm -hmm. that's getting an upgrade. Whenever rollups improve their technology to compress uh, transactions, they get faster, they get cheaper. That's an upgrade to Ethereum. That's an upgrade for going bankless. It makes Ethereum more scalable. So, of course, we got to start there and talk about that right when we get back with Stephen and uh, Harry from Arbitrum. But before we do, 
We want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Lens Protocol is an open source tech stack for building decentralized social media applications. It is the new era for social media. We all have toxic relationships with our Web2 apps. We want to break up with them, but we can't. These applications own our digital lives and all the relationships that we've made. We need to break through to a new paradigm of social networking applications that we control rather than them controlling us. Lens isn't a social media app. It's a protocol to let a thousand Web3 social apps bloom. Lens is a permissionless and transparent social graph that is owned by the user. In crypto, we say not your keys, not your crypto. And on Lens, we say not your keys, not your profile. With Lens, your followers go with you to whatever social media application you want to use. And instead of being trapped by an algorithm chosen by that app, Lens lets you you choose the way you want to experience your social media. Lens is the last social media handle that you'll ever need to create. So in order to get started, there is a secret code word in the show notes. Enter that code word in the Google form linked and you'll be well on your way to entering the world of Web3 Social. Rocketpool is your decentralized Ethereum staking protocol. You can stake your ETH in Rocketpool and get our ETH in return, allowing you to stake your ETH and use it in DeFi at the same time. You can get 4% on your ETH by staking it with Rocketpool, but you can get even more by running a node. Rocketpool is the only staking provider that allows anyone to permissionlessly join their network of validating Ethereum nodes. Setting up your Rocketpool node is easier than running a node solo, and you only need 16 ETH to get started. You get an extra 15% staking commission on the pooled ETH that uses your your node to stake. You also get RPL token rewards on top. So if you're bullish e-staking, you can boost your yield by adding your node to the decentralized rocket pool network, which currently has over 1,000 independent node operators. It's yield farming, but with Ethereum nodes. You can get started at rocketpool.net, and you can also join the rocket pool community in their Discord. You can find me hanging out there sometimes in the chat, so I'll see you there. Arbitrum is an Ethereum layer two scaling solution that is going to completely change how we use DeFi and NFTs. Some of the coolest new NFT collections have chosen Arbitrum as their home, while DeFi protocols continue to see increased liquidity and usage. You can now bridge straight into Arbitrum for more than 10 different exchanges, including Binance, FTX, Huobi, and Crypto.com. Once on Arbitrum, you'll enjoy fast transactions with cheap fees, allowing you to explore new frontiers of the crypto universe. New to Arbitrum, for a limited time, you can get Arbitrum NFTs designed by the famous artists Ratwell and Sugoi. For joining the Arbitrum Odyssey. The Odyssey is an eight-week-long event where you complete on-chain activities and receive a free NFT as a reward. Find out more by visiting the Discord at discord.gg Arbitrum. You can also bridge your assets to Arbitrum at bridge.arbitrum.io and access all of Arbitrum's apps at portal.arbitrum.one in order to experience DeFi and NFTs the way it was always meant to be, fast, cheap, secure, and friction-free. Hey guys, we are back with some of the co-founders behind Arbitrum, which is the leading roll-up right now in terms of total locked value. Big upgrade today. Want to introduce you again, because it's been a year, to Steven, who is the CEO and co-founder of Offchain Labs, and also Harry, who's the CTO and co-founder of Offchain Labs. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Launch day again. How are uh, how are things? Are you hanging in there? Are you sweating at all? Is everything going okay? Doing well. Yeah, thanks uh, for having us. Really, really great to be back. I think uh, the launch went fantastically well. Um, and you know, we're excited to be here and talk about it. I, I'm still not like familiar with this concept of, of having a launch day and then having it be afternoon, the launch day and not being in a, in like a total panic. <laughs> um, but it just goes to show we spend a lot of time preparing and have an awesome team. Usually that, that's incredible. whenever we have uh, people that come on, on lunch day, they're like running a mile a minute like they can't breathe and then they come onto their podcast and then they're super like distracted because there's also a bunch of like stuff happening at the Fires. same time yeah, yeah so like lights, lights are flashing what, what are you guys like what's behind the scenes what's going on right now like what are you guys monitoring what are you guys like what would you otherwise be looking at if you weren't on this podcast with us 
So one thing is, you know, we went back online, our core infrastructure, it will take others, uh, some went back online already, you know, Etherscan, for example, went back up right away, a lot of the node providers did. Um, some other infrastructure will probably continue to come on over time, although I think most of it's already on. So we're just basically uh, monitoring uh, partner uh, questions and conversations, but uh, really, uh, honestly, not that much. <laughs> <laughs> Fundamentally, kind of the, our own tech is the thing that it's easy to be kind of highly confident in and that we've done, we did the test net a month ago. We've kind of tested to death in all sorts of interesting ways. Um, that kind of the, the biggest effort this last month has been sort of ecosystem coordination, just because like, I don't need to tell you guys, there's a lot of stuff going on on top of Arbitrum. Um, and even with the Nitro upgrade being sort of quite seamless for most people, there's still enough kind of nitty gritty details that affect various specific applications and, and infrastructure providers uh, that there's sort of a, a lot of coordination and that's where we've been really focused. And, and that's where I think these sort of next day or two will be, will continue to be sort of very focused on kind of hearing feedback from there and, and solving any issues that might come up. Yeah, I guess that's true. You're upgrading a, a platform for an entire set of applications, ecosystem, all of this infrastructure as as well. And I'm sure there are so many moving parts there. Um, I, I want to zoom out uh, for, for a minute too, because um, this is actually a special day, not just because the Bankless live stream has been upgraded, although David's really excited about this, and Nitro has launched, but also because it is the one year birthday of Arbitrum 1, the original chain. So like you guys launched this thing a year ago, which is like, first of all, happy birthday to Arbitrum. And secondly, I was kind of thinking about this. Um, this is sort of uh, at the end of last year, I think it was the last time uh, we had you guys for a live stream on Bankless was like September or something of, of last year. And I remember how excited we are about, and we had this analogy of kind of like rollups are like a, a theme park and like there are all of these these rides but it's not yet open for the public and now arbitrum is about to open it for the public and the cool thing about getting to the theme park is once the gates are open you can not only ride all the rides but you can like go make your own rides like roller coaster tycoon style if you're a developer right and so um just zoom out for us for a minute how do you guys feel one year after launch has this gone how you thought it would is it um, as expected or there's some unexpected things? Uh, Harry, why don't we start with you? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really interesting question. And I think it's just, I, I instantly am thrown back to thinking about the insanity, which was kind of after our initial launch, um, when we were expecting to kind of like gradually pick up steam. Um, and instead, if you remember Arbinion, that launched about, a, I think, uh, in the first week and very rapidly accumulated over a billion dollars in the system, um, which was not something we were expecting. Um, and I, I think it was sort of, and it was, for a long time, I think essentially sort of, it, it, was, it was downhill from there in a way. And that like, kind of like, that was like, you know, that was yield farming, that was sort of relatively, I don't want to say inorganic, we didn't cause it, but it was not sort of sustainable growth as those things tend to be. Um, and so I think kind of the really interesting journey that we've been on has been sort of rebuilding and and exceeding the, the that sort of initial burst of growth with sort of really sustainable, um, unincentivized kind of growth that's been been continuing going strong, which has been pretty damn cool. 
Perry, am I looking at this on the chart? So this is a L2B, which is a great place to track kind of total locked value of Arbitrum 1. And you said just like, you know, suddenly you kind of open the the gates to the uh, the park and then bam, there's a billion dollars. <laughs> is that what we're seeing yep. on the chart? Yep, exactly. <laughs> um, and the other interesting place that shows up is in uh, um, this kind of transactions where you see this sort of huge initial spike and then kind of significantly lower for a while up until the point where now it's kind of rebuilding to rebuild and rebuilt to be there kind of at a similar level um, consistently. So what's interesting is I guess this is like what Arbitrum looks like in the quote unquote, uh, like great crypto bear market of 2022. And you guys are still above uh, 2 billion in, uh, in market cap. And uh, I guess looks like I'm still leading the charts here as uh, the number one roll up with optimism. Uh, in second place, uh, kind of close, but 2.15 billion versus 1.58 billion. I don't want to dwell too much on total locked value because I think that is somewhat, it can be like a vanity metric or it can be inflated in, in weird ways as you've just described, but it seems like there's been a, a pretty quick growth of the ecosystem. Um, Steven, as you reflect on the last year, what do you think about? Yeah, I mean, I would agree with Harry that it's it's, Definitely not how uh, I could not have predicted how the, the year would have gone, how it went, but fantastically happy with the way that it did. One interesting piece of perspective that I'll give you. So you mentioned we were on, I think we were on September 7th of last year. And, and so if you look at the Nitro um, repository, right, so where the code lives on GitHub, you'll see the first commit to the Nitro repository was September 8th. So here we are on Bankless a year ago. September 7th, talking about this brand new thing we launched. And you know, we're already thinking about like, you know, today's launch, right? Actually, like we're back to work thinking about how do you make this thing better? And, and that's basically like there's, you know, we're we're super happy with the way that launch is going and the way that went. And we're really, really working to get adoption. But we're also constantly thinking about how do we make this better? And, and I can tell you, we already have, you know, the initiatives will probably go live next year. Um, already, you know, working on it and constantly thinking about how do we scale? Because scaling is like a cat and mouse game, like we scale. And then more users come and demand keeps growing. Like Ethereum demand is not going down uh, long-term at all. It's going to keep going up and up and up. And we have to stay, keep the tech ahead of that curve. Uh, Steven, as you said, Ethereum demand is is not going down. It's going up and up and up. And a lot of that demand is transferring to, to rollups. And indeed, kind of the bankless message over the past year since Arbitrum many other rollups launched is like, go uh, make your home, go migrate to a rollup, see what you like, go, go test out a few and just like kind of start to build your business there, start to, to start to go bankless on these rollups. Um, I'm, I'm curious though, if it's like maybe for, for people who aren't familiar, I know if they're listening to bankless, they know what a rollup is. You got to know what a rollup is, right guys? But like what, what's special about Arbitrum's specific take on Rollups. Could you give us just the, the the highest level? I know we've covered it in detail in other places. It is an optimistic rollup. What else about Arbitrum uh, would you want to tell us? What's different about it, um, Stephen? Back to you. Yeah, I would focus on like three things. You know, going a little deeper. No, number one, like you said, it's an optimistic rollup. It's a particular type of optimistic rollup that we, um, you know, um, put forth back in our academic paper that uses something called interactive fraud proofs. And basically, uh, that's a technical way, but what it allows you to achieve is a really, really compatible um, optimistic rollup. It's easy for people to build, particularly easy for people who know how to build an Ethereum to build to build an Arbitrum. 
And, you know, that's something which is, you know, really, really important to us, which is, you know, continuing to be ETH aligned, not just because we're building on ETH, also because we're community aligned with ETH and it's really easy to build. We're also very tech focused first. Um, you know, we have a fully complete build out system and we're really, really excited about that. Um, and, you know, we, the system is in beta today, but all the code is there and complete. And, and the last thing that I'll, that, I'll, that, I'll, that I'll say is, you know, the way we think about it, the Nitro launch is actually a really big milestone for us, um, but it also shows how we think about our rollup in which you know, we're not married to a particular tool and say, hey, I need to use this tool. We're married to a solution. And, you know, we're, we're constantly thinking about how do we solve this? How do we do this even better? And that's something which, you know, I don't know if people sometimes say to me, hey, will you guys use this DK? So maybe, maybe one day we will. We're definitely, you know, not against it. And we're just constantly thinking about how do we scale Ethereum the best? So, um, you know, when I think about the futures of our futures of Arbitrum. I don't want to dwell too much, even, even as excited I am about the current technology, it's really the goal that, that, we're, that we're aligned on and, and the tools will definitely change over time as they did today. I want to zoom back into uh, so, some uh, recent history in the Arbitrum universe. And I think going back to the beginning of the Arbitrum Odyssey, I think will actually be really helpful for listeners understand the significance of Nitro. Um, because we, we did this thing called the Arbitrum Odyssey, but the Odyssey had to be put on pause because uh, we didn't have Nitro yet. So I'm wondering, if we, can we go back a few weeks or months back to the beginning of the Arbitrum Odyssey? Can you explain what, what was the, the Arbitrum Odyssey? What is the Arbitrum Odyssey? What was its intended goals? And then what did we learn as a result of the very beginning phases of the Odyssey? Harry, I'll, I'll throw it to you on that one. Um, I, I can I can kind of take the take take a high level, and then I'll probably toss it back over to Stephen cool. since uh, since he could probably say even more than me. I mean, broadly speaking, kind of the goal of, of the Odyssey is to to bring users into the ecosystem. Um, that sort of I think one of our favorite things about the Arbitrum ecosystem uh, that we wanted to highlight is just sort of how much depth there is, how many different things there are to do. Um, I think kind of toward, towards sort of your earlier point, like the, our goal has always been sort of have people be able to come and stay, um, not have people just sort of slide into the system to interact with kind of a couple of apps, um, but then kind of run out of things to do, um, but to actually have kind of a full complete ecosystem. And I think the Odyssey kind of at a high level is very much sort of the the effort to to highlight that. Um, I don't know, Stephen, if you want to jump in, um, or I'm happy to keep. Uh... Yeah, no, I think that's what I would say too. It's really about education, and and you know, I saw. Um, someone tweeted the other day and said, I, I got introduced to the audit to GMX via the Odyssey and I haven't stopped using it. And that's like a great example of like learning about what there is to do in Arbitrum. And that, that was uh, our main goal. Uh, I know there was a lot of speculation that we had other goals with the Odyssey, but really uh, our main goal was about uh, education and introducing users uh, to, to the platform. And um, yeah, that, that, that's, that's what I think, uh, which we've begun to accomplish. We did put it on pause. Um, but uh, we will continue to accomplish when we restart it. I think well. I think a nice metaphor to explain the Odyssey, Adley, the one that landed in my head was it kind of felt like um, a tour of a college campus. Like you like you get everyone, herd them all together, walk them through walk them through the campus. Like and here is our library where you can go leverage long or short on GMX. <laughs> and here is our NFT museum with magic in the treasure ecosystem. Uh, and so it was like a a, a little bit like a a phase where like you each week you do uh, each individual thing and 
week one was bridge week, right? Because, you know, if you're going to start an odyssey, you need to get everyone onto the Arbitrum chain. And so week one was bridge week. And then week two was going to be the next phase of the odyssey. But that's when we learned some things. Uh, who, wants to, who wants between the two of you wants to walk us through what happened there? Um, I'm happy to take it. Cool. How are you? Either, yeah, sure, I'll go. I mean, essentially, sort of the the thing we found was that, in sort of the way that that kind of Arbitrum was pre pre Nitro, um, we were running at a, a approximately, um, and now we can with Nitro. We'll get into later. We can say this much more exactly, but we were running with approximately Ethereum's worth of capacity. Um, one Ethereum of we, capacity. Yes. Cool. I like the, I like uh, the, the, the scale we, of measurement. It's easy to understand. Like one Ethereum. <laughs> um no same um i think and i think kind of the thing we found is basically that that was really easy to to be to to fill that up um kind of we've been in an interesting dynamic where sort of because rollups have been sort of relatively early in the stage of adoption um i think for a while people were sort of treating them as though kind of gas optimization didn't matter things could be sort of arbitrarily complex mm. um and that wouldn't sort of and I think that was sort of a wake-up call all around that, well, it's still a blockchain. It still has limited capacity. Um, it, from our perspective, essentially kind of in that, in that state, we sort of were obviously well on our way to working on Nitro and planning Nitro um, and have this vision on, in mind where it will certainly be, be significantly more. Um, although there's, there's always sort of this, this question, which is there's no kind of how, how much demand is there? And it's very hard to predict and it's very hard to see. Um, I don't think we quite imagined how much demand would rush in for the Odyssey. Um, that if you look at sort of the massive spike of usage associated, it was it was quite large. Um, I, I think sort of when, you know, it will be it will be very interesting to see when it begins again. Um, because sort of to be to be quite upfront about this, we're we're gonna massively increase our capacity. Um, we, you know, that will allow for many, many, many more users to make use of the system. There is, there will still be a number of users that, that could hit limits, mm -hmm. um, if enough demand comes in since it's not unlimited. Um, but we can certainly serve hugely more people, which I think is pretty critical. So high level, Harry, Arbitrum one launched another Ethereum's worth of capacity basically. And by the time the Odyssey kicked off, uh, everything was like full. I know how you're measuring capacity is like all blocks full, something like this. Yeah. And you didn't have enough space mm -hmm. to continue the Odyssey. So you guys said, okay, too early for the growth phase. The bus We're was put full. The Odyssey. Yeah. Like, sorry, guys, the bus is full. Yep. Tour bus is full. Um, you know, it, it, we don't have any any room for more more students to take the tour, the campus tour. And you put Odyssey on pause uh, for a period of time until you could deploy nitro is that the case exactly yeah uh, effectively sort of in, in a way it, it was almost kind of too successful um in terms of sort of the amount of demand it created um and i think sort of you know the when when things like that occur and i mean it's the exact same thing we see on ethereum all the time well not all the time but relative relatively often where some event happens the chain becomes massively congested prices goes up and go up and, and sort of you know the, the rest of the ecosystem says what's going on. Everything's more expensive. This is affecting us negatively. And sort of the thing we wanted to avoid um, was, was that impact. Mm -hmm. um, and, and sort of the way to avoid that impact is to have more capacity so that the system doesn't get overwhelmed. 
And Harry, you said something that I think was worth uh, parsing out. Uh, at the very beginning of Arbitrum 1, it was, in, it was like there was so much block space. It was like, oh, so all of these DAFs could be like, oh, I'll just use all of this block space. Look at all this empty block space. I'll just use it all. Uh, and this is kind of just an inevitable truth of every single blockchain in its beginning phases is that since there's such an abundance yep. of block space, DAP developers don't write space optimized contracts. Uh, and so like all of the, I, I, from what I've gathered, like the early days of the, of the Arbitrum dApps, never, they never had to be constrained in this respect. Uh, and so then once we actually do like an actually like marketed and productized Odyssey type thing, where like, okay, come and use all of these dApps and all the Arbitrum dApp developers like, oh wait, like we forgot to consider like optimizations. Uh, and so not only, I'm guessing since then, a lot of Arbitrum dApps have, in addition to like Arbitrum itself growing in capacity, I'm about to ask you guys by how much capacity, but I'm assuming also the Arbitrum dApps have started to be more uh, resourceful with their uh, design of their contracts. Would you guys say that's true? It, it's a good question. I would say, so I wouldn't say that people didn't kind of think about optimizing. I would say that sort of what, what people were focused on optimizing was different. So for mm -hmm. example, a lot of thought went into optimizing down the amount of call data involved, because that's the cost of posting matches to Ethereum. Yeah. That's the L1 resources. That's expensive. Um, so a lot of thought went to optimization, but essentially the, the kind of at that point, it was a very good trade-off to make um, to use more gas on, on Arbitrum, to use more execution gas to save money on, on Ethereum. And so I think, yeah, as, as kind of, as things have moved, I think people have sort of seen seen those tides moving and, and, and are working on adjusting. Um, so I definitely think that sort of people are reacting, but it's not that they hadn't thought about it. It's that they were kind of had different focuses. And the, the cool thing about with that event is that all that happened was that the gas fees on Arbitrum went up. Right? Just like in the same way that Ethereum gas fees go up when there's congestion, the Arbitrum gas fees went up because there was congestion. Uh, there's alternative scaling models out there where the thing just shuts down. Uh, for, for Perhaps that was not, that's actually not an intended feature of, of some other layer one blockchains, but that is the inevitable conclusion. And so the fact that like, Arbitrum just mimics Ethereum in its design, uh, I think illustrates like the... The way that Arbitrum, when we talk about Arbitrum is like one Ethereum, another Ethereum's worth of scale. Like, no, it's literally another Ethereum in, in a layer two, and it operates and looks the same way. And so uh, with that in mind, Stephen, do you want to say something? Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that exactly. And, you know, the thing to say is Arbitrum, it, it worked exactly as intended, you know, mm -hmm. as, as, yeah. as you basically said. And you know, to use the bus analogy, just the bus tickets got expensive. And there were those people right. that just wanted to take it on the bus. And so for us, the decision was easy because it was like, hey, we know that we're, you know, right around the corner from Nitro, and we're going to increase the capacity. So why not wait so we can, you know, allow many more people on this right. bus? And But the system worked exactly as intended. Right. And so the decision was made to put the Odyssey on pause. Bus is going to hang out. Well, we upgrade the engine, uh, and so what? What getting into the nitro conversation? What about nitro? Is like what's the secret sauce behind nitro? And if if Arbitrum one previously was one Ethereum's, how many Ethereum's is nitro? It's it's a good question. Um, yeah, so I mean, I'll start with the, the with the the second one just because that's relatively easy. We're we're currently kind of live with seven. Appro approximately seven seven Ethereum's worth seven of, Ethereum's. of capacity. 
Wow. Um, <laughs> seven Ethereum's um, worth of capacity. So you've just seven X this. Uh, I definitely want to know how you did that, right. but um, <laughs> that's incredible. Um, yeah, no, and that's a, you know, I think a perfect transition into sort of what's the, what's the secret sauce. Um, and, and I'll say sort of fundamentally kind of the secret sauce. Well, first of all, um, I think in a lot of ways, kind of Arbitrum Nitro is a, is a very classic startup story in that kind of Arbitrum One was effectively sort of our MVP um, in, in, in a significant way. It was the first thing we figured out how to build that we knew had legs and had, it could work. Um, but we also sort of knew early on there were limitations. Um, there were things that we wish were not the case. We didn't stick around and wait to launch until we had fixed them, because if so, we would never have, you know, getting off the ground is almost impossible. Um, but we had these ideas in mind and, and it kind of fundamentally, there was a lot of various overhead. We were figuring out how to do fraud proofs on chain for the first time. Um, which at, at that point was, I think, very early and sort of people didn't really have a good figure on. And I think you see this all over the place in terms of as research develops. I know Stephen likes to talk about his, his PhD being a course of, of finding out over and over and over again that like his previous work was like kind of crappy and that there was a way better way of doing it. <laughs> and I usually use those words, but it's accurate. <laughs> the latest one is great though. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Um, but uh, and effectively sort of what we figured out with Nitro and kind of the, the core to me is that we took a lot of kind of the custom work that we had to do in order to figure out how to solve this problem originally. And we were able to swap out almost all of that work with standard DVM. Before we had this, this, this relatively complicated new system we built from this ground up called the AVM, which was our own virtual machine because it was so complicated to figure out how to prove to Ethereum that a given L2 chain was correct, that we needed to invent an entire virtual machine for it. Uh, with Nitro, we, we using, using Geth, using Wasm, using a bunch of sort of standard powerful tools, um, we were able to basically not need to do much less custom, need to do much less with kind of lower performance um, tooling and be able to effectively do what Nitro is today, which is running as a kind of full standard EVM capacity. Um, so there's a lot of different sort of EVM chains out there. If you call sort of anything that is forked off of Geth, um, there are some fundamental kind of scaling constraints in the EVM world, which maybe we can talk about those a little later. Um, but Arbitrum Nitro is essentially competitive with any other um, EVM chain. Um, and the, the 7X is basically sort of our line for how to have sort of sustainable growth so that people can continue to run nodes over time and validate the chain um, while having as much capacity as possible. I, I want people to hear that. So we just 7X'd Ethereum, which is essentially what we're doing because we're we're preserving the trustlessness and the decentralization. I know there is still some kind of like, you know, governors on that, uh, management pieces on that and on Arbitrum one, but like that is what we're doing long-term. We've just 7X'd Ethereum. Were there any like trade-offs made in the process? Did we lose anything? Are there any added trust assumptions or is this all pure engineering, compression, like magic that allowed us to do this? Pretty, pretty pure win. Um, <laughs> pretty pure win, man. I would, I would say effectively. Um, the trust model doesn't change at all with, with Arbitrum 1. Um, we'll, we'll talk about Nova later. There, there's some more kind of interesting trade-offs made. Um, but this, and kind of the, 
I said, and I'll say again, sort of the, the amount of capacity is kind of fundamentally how only limit, basically limited around this idea of state growth. How much, how beefy of a machine do you need to sink the chain? Um, this is where we decided was reasonable, um, which, and, and kind of, I think there's, we have some good reasons for that, but sort of that's, that's the only limit there is. Um, Ethereum is very conservative. Ethereum wants everyone in the world to be able to validate the chain. Um, because of the roll-up security model, you don't need to make anywhere near that aggressive an assumption because you don't need two-thirds honest, you need one honest. Um, and that lets us sort of exceed Ethereum in that way, um, which is sort of where we get that 7x from. And I, I want to go into that bottleneck a little bit more. Uh, you said it was the state growth. Why, why can't we have 70 Ethereums, Harry? Why haven't you brought in, brought in 70 Ethereums to the table? What, what breaks? Dude, just stop being so greedy. <laughs> I'm, I'm working. It's hard. I need to sleep sometimes. What, what breaks uh, if you turn that 7 into a 70 number? Like, why can't we have that? Yeah, so it, it's sort of, and this is kind of the, the same constraint that people on Ethereum, that the kind of Ethereum core devs worry about. I mean, in terms of kind of the main reason that the Ethereum gas limit is not higher is the main reason that the Arbitrum gas limit is not higher, um, which has to do with effectively how much memory your computer needs to be able to actually hold the entire current state. Um, since effectively, in order to execute the blockchain quickly, you need to be able to quickly read any storage cell, any contract code, anything that kind of could be immediately relevant. Um, you need to be able to hold that in memory or you need to take a long time reading the disk and you can never process right. this quickly. Um, and that's kind of the fundamental limitation there. So the, so the state of Arbitrum, which is different than the most recent block, the state of Arbitrum yes. is needs to be held in a computer's RAM. How do you know what is the current state size of Arbitrum? Like how much how much RAM do you need to be able to read this thing? Um, I think currently we're somewhere. It's definitely under ten gigabytes. Okay. I'm pretty certain. Yeah, okay. um, that seems modest. It will it will increase over time. Right. Um, and effectively, sort of the the reason for the gas limit is. We could crank up the gas limit to 70x probably, uh -huh. and it would be fine running nodes for the next year. Um, but a year and a half from now, it would start to get really, really hard. Right. We would start and, to and need it's like 100 gigs of RAM to be able to manage this thing at that point. And at that exactly. point, we're like, oh, we have, we've gone beyond the capacity of what can be expected. Exactly. It's about controlling the rate of growth over time so that sort of the rate of, of hardware getting better keeps up with the rate of the chain getting harder to run. And how, just again, some basic bare bones scaling stuff. Why is that different than Ethereum? Why are you guys able to scale faster than Ethereum when Ethereum has that same constraint? It is identical to Ethereum. Um, so all of this comes down to basically Ethereum makes some very aggressive choices about making it very easy to run a node at home. It's uh -huh. very important to Ethereum that kind of you at home validation is, is, is easy to do, um, that you can validate on a Raspberry Pi, and these are like important values and they're very important for Ethereum because you have proof of stake or, or right. even with proof of work either way, um, where you need to assume that you have a lot of honest people there who are able to participate in the system. It needs to have a low barrier to entry. Rollups can, can sustain a significantly higher barrier to entry because you only need one honest person. Uh, right. Um, so Ethereum needs like two thirds of the nodes to be able to have sufficient RAM and Arbitrum or an optimistic rollup just needs like, well, we kind of just need one honest person with sufficient RAM. And that's where we get that scale from. Yes. So 
simplistically, the reductively. Reason, the reason to not do the 70X is because you need more than one because you need all the infrastructure. You need blocking sure. explorers to right. work. You need, you need sort of all sorts of tooling, indexers, automation tools, all of that. That, that's sort of where we get the limitation from. Okay. We need to make sure that Etherscan can keep up with Arbitrum and Infura can keep up with Arbitrum. But but the idea is that the number of entities that need to keep up with Arbitrum is significantly reduced. Yeah. And we are able to reduce that number without breaking our basic trust assumptions of the Ethereum layer one. Yeah, exactly. Every time I talk to rollup teams, I'm like, okay, I have to go and like remind myself about the basic like theory behind every single layer one because like it's hard to keep in my brain from from month to month to month. When what, one last question on this train of thought: When we say that Arbitrum Nitro is now seven Ethereum's, uh, what nuance is lost when we explain it that way? Like, what engineers did we just trigger by explaining <laughs> Arbitrum in that particular mechanism? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's a good question. So there's, I guess there's two things I could say for that. One is interestingly, we don't measure our gas in blocks because of sort of how Arbitrum block production works, where sort of blocks are produced quickly. We instead measure it in, in gas per second. Mm. Um, so that equivalency is based on sort of what the Ethereum block time is um, and sort of doing, doing some division there in order to calculate that. that. That's a relatively minor one. The other sort of probably more interesting one is that there's two independent resources that Arbitrum consumes. 7x is the amount of, of addition of amount of amount of L2 resources we have. Um, but also when you're using Arbitrum, you're using Ethereum resources because of how transactions get posted on chain. Um, that we actually are also improving with Nitro um, because we're introducing additional compression. Mm. Uh, but that's sort of not in that same category of 7x and is measured totally separately. Okay. Okay. Beautiful. Okay. So we've got, we've got Arbitrum Nitro, right? Ryan, do you have a question before? Yeah, go for it. I do. I just, before you get to kind of like, you know, uh, the resuming Odyssey and such, I, I just want to spend a minute to, to zoom out. Right. So we, we just got a seven X and like David, I'm, re I'm real happy about that, mm -hmm. but I'm also kind of like David, I'm real greedy too. <laughs> and like, um, the question in my mind is what's the next step from here? Do, right just curious. So can you get another, you know, seven to 10 X out of like better engineering in the next version, compressing it some more? Are we like, um, we had an episode with Apolenia recently where we talked a lot about EIP 4844 and proto dank sharding and what that provides to rollups, which is really inexpensive call data, which is a key to scaling rollups as I understand. But if you just like, um, you know, t tell us what this will look like next year on Arbitrum One's second birthday. What kind of scalability increase could could we see there? And then, like on Arbitrum's third birthday, when it's just like you know, <laughs> just a toddler and it's walk, it's just learning to walk and it's you know flailing around. What what does that look like? Because that's probably a post EIP four eight four four world. Uh, any thoughts on this, Harry? Um, yeah, this is, I mean, this is like the tough question. Um, I'll say, you know, to start with the easy one, which is that sort of 4844 is like hugely valuable and important, but it only, but what it solves is essentially further decreasing those L1 costs. So between the new compression in Nitro and 4844, those costs, I think we can expect will get very, very small. And then you basically are left with sort of the main cost of using Arbitrum being paying for this L2 capacity in this chain with kind of 7x Ethereum capacity. 
Um, that's the relatively straightforward one. The complicated one is then, well, what about that chain's capacity? And I think there's sort of two things I'll, I can say there. One is sort of, I think you've seen today, and we'll talk more later, or probably about Nova. Um, and you can see this idea of sort of multiple parallel rollups. Nova has 7x Ethereum capacity. Arbitrum 1 has 7x Ethereum capacity. They don't take capacity from each other. They're totally independent. So between the two of them, we have 14x Ethereum capacity. Um, that is sort of relatively simple to do from a technical perspective. From an ecosystem perspective, it's much more complicated because these are separate chains with separate dApps and separate code deployed on them. Um, but that's the one that kind of like, you know, you can clearly picture today. I think beyond that, you get into these sort of fundamental considerations of how do you scale the EVM better? Um, how do you sort of actually do that? I think all of those go down the line of, well, the EVM itself has to change uh, to some degree. Um, and these are, these are questions that kind of core Ethereum researchers have been struggling with one day or another for a while. And I think very much kind of we, are, we see ourselves among them um, that fundamentally kind of how to scale Arbitrum and how to scale Ethereum are basically sort of Ethereum's computational capacity will be sort of the same question. Um, because they're operating under the same constraints. And I think that there's kind of going to be a lot of interesting stuff evolving on that front as sort of the research community really kind of aligns around that question. But every like Arbitrum birthday, can we count on you guys to give us another like seven to 10 X or something <laughs> like this? Steven, what do you have to add to this? I think we Make have some promises, more. my friend. I think we have a, um, a few more seven to 10 X's with us. I can tell you this, we have um, just like Nitro started a year ago, um, you know, in the production repo, we have several other really, really promising um, efforts, you know, to Harry's point, some of it's going to be fundamental, some of it, but I, I do think there's still, uh, I, I don't think we're, we're at the optimal point yet, and I would expect um, that we'll, we'll deliver uh, once again in the next year. I can't tell you which of our various efforts will be the one, just like, you know, when Nitro started, it wasn't, it wasn't the only thing. Nitro started one, as a one-person project and slowly became the company priority. So one of these various efforts that we're running will probably over time dwarf the others, but I'm pretty confident that we have, uh, we have some more, a bunch more scale to squeeze out of the system and then do more fundamental things as well. Um, but long-term, I'm pretty bullish. And um, yeah, I'll put a reminder for one year, but I'm, I'm pretty... Uh, I need the calendar in. Fully agreed. No, I think I fully agreed. And I think my main point there was sort of like it's it's ways that you start to drift a little bit from the EVM while maintaining the user experience. Essentially, that like sort of that you start to look at like around the edges. How can we like poke at this thing, prod at this thing to sort of keep the user experience as similar as possible, but do things in ways that that are that are more scalable. So guys, what happens next? Are we when when does the Odyssey resume? Can we get back on on track with the Odyssey. When does that happen? So we haven't announced an exact date yet. Uh, we don't have an exact date yet, but it's will come. It will resume in short order. Um, we'll want to see the system. Uh, like we said today, went on, went on without a hitch, but we want to give it you know a little time to stabilize before we uh, really really bring in even you know a large mass a larger mass of users. Although we have seen some pretty high you know transaction uh, volumes today, and we actually just. Uh, at the start of this call, hit our 25 million transaction. So that's that's exciting. Wow. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so the Odyssey will definitely restart in, in short order, and uh, we're excited for that. 25 millionth transaction. Do you off the top of your head? Do you know how many transactions the Ethereum Layer One has had? A whole lot more than that, but I don't know off the top of my head. But okay, um, more than that, when 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 will you pass Ethereum? 
Um, well, remember we were only running at one Ethereum's capacity uh, for the past. Uh, right, right, right. So actually, so, so up at now is the actual point where you can actually chase Ethereum and actually catch up. Exactly. Yep. Now he's low capacity. You know, if we if we're at capacity in a year, we'll we'll seven years do seven years of Ethereum. So now is the time where that where that rate actually happens. That becomes feasible. Okay. Over under one year from today, will you have a total transaction count higher or or lower than Ethereum? And what's it going to be? Because Ethereum's been seven it's seven years old, uh, and so you know, can you guys squeeze in seven years of transaction history inside of one year with seven Ethereum's? Like I think we're the math checks lot, out. We're putting a lot of pressure on this yeah. birthday. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what we deliver. I'm looking now. Ethereum's done 1.6 billion transactions, so we still have have a ways to go uh, to catch up to that. And and our goal honestly isn't you know isn't even to catch up to that. Our goal is to meet the demand and, right. and continue to increase the demand that we have, and we're confident that. Um, we will meet the demand uh, for the next year. And when we come back in a year, we will um, scale our tech to meet even further demand. So guys, I told the chat that if they could get 50 likes in the next 10 minutes, then I'd ask about the token. And they've got about four minutes left to get 20 more likes. Uh, so we'll see if they can make it. But uh, there's plenty of other things in the Arbitrum ecosystem that we want to talk about. Uh, we already talked about Arbitrum Nova, and we want to dive into that a little bit more. Also, just what's hot in the Arbitrum app layer? I want to get you your perspectives on your guys' favorite dApps and ecosystems there. Uh, and maybe if this uh, chat can get these likes underway, we might ask about the Arbitrum airdrop as well. So we're going to do all of these things and more right after we get to some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Juno is bringing crypto-friendly banking straight into your checking account. With Juno, you can send money from your Juno checking account straight onto a layer two, like Polygon, Optimism, Arbitrum, and they have ZK Sync and StarkNet support on their way. You can skip the ACH wait times, you can skip all the gas fees, and go straight from your checking account to an Ethereum layer two in seconds. Inside Juno, you can buy and sell crypto with $0 fees, and your Juno checking account comes with a metal MasterCard that gives you up to 5% cash back on your spending. Juno is also giving you $10 cash back on your first crypto deposit and a hundred dollars when you set up a direct deposit this ad just writes itself so go sign up at juno.finance bankless zk sync is an ethereum layer 2 network that is pushing the frontier of high performance blockchains that don't compromise on security or decentralization zk sync has combined the power of zero knowledge rollups in the ethereum virtual machine enabling developers to build the greatest web3 projects possible ones we haven't even seen yet crypto needs its killer applications to onboard the world but crypto killer apps need zk sync as a platform to build on first it's generally accepted that zero knowledge rollups are the conclusion of crypto blockchain scaling technology and zk sync is leading the charge into the final frontier of crypto economics. So if you're a developer who wants to build your app on a future-proof foundation, which gives your users the best UX possible, check out ZK Sync's website at zksync.io. And yes, there's also going to be a token, so give them a follow on Twitter too, at zksync. The Brave browser is the user-first browser for the Web3 internet, with over 60 million monthly active users. And inside the Brave browser, you'll find the Brave wallet, the secure multi-chain crypto wallet built right into the browser. Web3 is freedom from big tech and Wall Street, more control and better privacy, but there's a weak point in Web3, your crypto wallet. And most crypto wallets are browser extensions, which can easily be spoofed. But the Brave wallet is different. No extensions are required, which gives Brave browser an extra level of security versus other wallets. Brave wallet is your secure passport for the possibilities of Web3, and supports multiple chains, including Ethereum and Solana. You can even buy crypto directly inside the wallet with Ramp. And of course, you can store, send, and swap your crypto assets, manage your NFTs, and connect to other wallets and DeFi apps. So whether you're new to crypto or you're a seasoned pro, it's time to ditch those risky extensions, and it's time to switch to the Brave wallet. Download Brave at brave.com bankless, and click the wallet icon to get started. All right, guys, we are back. 
with Harry and Steven from Arbitrum. We were talking all about scaling Ethereum. They just brought us seven Ethereum's worth of scale <laughs> with the launch of Arbitrum Nitro. They brought us seven Ethereum. Which is awesome. <laughs> and we should be grateful for that. I'll remind my co-host, David, we should be grateful for that. <laughs> even though we want more. Um, but actually, there is more in a way. I uh, want to start talking about another chain that you launched called Arbitrum Nova. And I remember when we first um, talked to you guys a year ago, uh, September of last year, it was kind of news to me um, that if there was an Arbitrum 1, there could also be an Arbitrum 2 or an Arbitrum 3 or an Arbitrum 4. That Arbitrum 1 wasn't just necessarily one chain. Arbitrum is a technology that can be used across multiple chains. And so now we have Arbitrum 1, which is getting some NFT usage, also getting a lot of DeFi usage. Now we have this other chain that you've launched using Arbitrum tech stack called Arbitrum Nova. This is the brand new uh, layer two chain. Um, what is the big deal about Arbitrum Nova? Like, what is it exactly? Um, there are some trade-off differences, I think, from a trust perspective. Maybe you could describe that and what kind of use case and set of users are, are you going for on Nova? Stephen, I'll throw it to you. Yeah, Arbitrum Nova is built on the Arbitrum Any Trust technology, and it uses what's called a data availability committee. So most of the tech actually looks like a roll-up. Actually, Arbitrum Nova is already running the Nitro stack. So we did that launch with Nitro right off the bat. They're both running the Nitro stack now. The difference is, whereas on the roll-up, Arbitrum 1, we put all the data on Ethereum. Uh, in Arbitrum Nova, we don't put all the data on Ethereum. Instead, we send the data to a data availability committee. But the rest of it, the fraud proofs, all happen, hap do, does happen on Ethereum. That's the core difference. But remember, at least for the current time, until we have like EIP 4844 or similar initiatives, the vast majority of our cost is that data posting on Ethereum. And so when you are able to send the data to a committee instead, the cost is significantly, significantly reduced. So, so what is Nova? Who's it for? Like, why, why are we doing this? But before you go there, Stephen, I just want to jump in and just do a little like a uh, bankless professor kind of um, yeah. like a uh, thing to try to describe that and link that. So we did an episode called the modular blockchain where Dave and I attempted to explain all of this. What you just talked about is there are really three parts of a modular blockchain, right? So we've got the consensus layer, innermost layer, and then we've got the data layer, and then we've got the execution layer. The way I think about this is the execution layer is on the outside, and that's what's happening now. It's kind of current state execution. The data layer is what's already happened, and the consensus layer is what's true. Ethereum in a, a layer two, in a roll-up like Arbitrum, Ethereum, Ethereum uh, remains the consensus layer. It determines what's true. You know, it comes to consensus on that. That's why we say roll-ups are secured by Ethereum. And then uh, Arbitrum is doing the execution layer. That's all the EVM stuff where you run your apps, but it's also posting its data on Ethereum and using that data layer. So it's using Ethereum for the what's happened and what's true. And that's what Arbitrum 1 is using today. Now, Arbitrum Nova is different. It's still using Ethereum for the consensus layer, that innermost layer, but it's using a different... Um, data availability uh, committee, as you called it, Stephen, rather than posting on Ethereum for that data layer, the what's happened layer. Uh, and it's still using, of course, Arbitrum technology for the execution layer. Uh, is, that a, is that about right? Did I do that okay? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And um, yeah, it uses that committee though, in, in a, you know, just like you said, in a pretty limited way. It uses it just for the data, 
but the rest looks just like uh, the roll-up. And, and actually, it has an affordance built in, Nova, that if the committee stops doing what it's doing and stops um, posting data, it just turns into a roll-up. It literally reverts back to a roll-up and starts posting data on Ethereum. So the committee, basically, the committee's role is if it functions right, it keeps the transaction fees low. But if the committee stops functioning, the chain becomes a roll-up. And actually, you know, here's an interesting nugget, which we don't really talk much about, but it's definitely possible. Like if EIP 4844 delivers and further data sharding delivers and like data on Ethereum becomes really, really cheap, maybe someday Nova just becomes a roll-up and we stop using the committee because it's just cheap enough to use Ethereum uh, even for the Nova applications. So if the data availability committee goes away, just reverts to a roll-up and, and that just mean, makes it more expensive, right? Because it starts using Ethereum for data availability as well. Is that correct? Exactly. So the committee is important in keeping the, the fees low, but fundamentally the chain's liveness, even if the committee disappears, the chain will continue to operate uh, just like a roll-up with us. Dude, I didn't know that part. That's pretty fascinating. So, and this would be called a validium, I guess, if some people are using that terminology, would you call it that? I don't want to get too in the weeds, but. Yeah, so right? the ZK, the ZK solutions, ZK roll-ups and optimistic roll-ups. ZK solutions with data availability availability committees are called Validium. So this is okay. the optimistic analog of a Validium. Yes. You got it. Very good. I really like this model where if it breaks, it just reverts back to its normal form because that's yeah. how we've described rollups in Ethereum where like if the rollup itself breaks, then it just reverts back to you'd make a Ethereum layer one transaction. And so it kind of feels like this like nesting doll of scale or like this inception of scale fractals fractals of scale right where like if the most performant but centralized layer breaks then it goes back to a little bit more decentralized a little with a little bit more cost and if that layer breaks then it reverts just back to the ethereum layer one with a little bit more cost and it, i think that is really emblematic of not compromising on ethereum security and that's really what this means is that if you don't sacrifice that then you just ultimately revert back to the thing, the layer below it that is still working. So just a really elegant solution here. Yeah, and it does add a little bit of trust because it has the committee in that case where, where it works. But we think, so see, we think, you know, it, it's well, well worth it. And it also, it's, it's any trust, which means you don't need to trust the entirety of the committee. You need to trust one or two members of the committee. So when we came out the door, the committee is actually quite strong. It includes us, Reddit, FTX, Consensus, P2P, QuickNode, and Google Cloud, actually. So you have like Web2 giants and Web3 giants participating in this committee and a user just needs to say, I trust that one. And, and I don't care, maybe I don't trust that anyone else, but I trust that this one or two committee members are doing their job. And that's how the antitrust technology works that you really have to have pretty trust minimized in the committee plus trusting Ethereum and everything works you know, um, uh, quite well. Is it exactly a roll-up? Does it have the full security of a roll-up? No, there is value of putting this data on Ethereum. But I think that Nova, you know, occupies a very special place where it gives you a high security chain, but also ultra low fees. And again, the ultra low fees come from the fact that you're not putting all that data on Ethereum. And that's a significant cost reduction. All right. So the ultra low fees piece of it. And when you said the data availability uh, committee, like two, two names popped up in my head that, the, oh, these people aren't crypto. One is Google Cloud, which is interesting, but it makes sense that they'd be there for infrastructure purposes. The other is Reddit. Reddit, the social media website, social media giant, 450 million daily active users. That Reddit is what we're talking about here. Okay. So, and they're also doing stuff with, uh, Arbitrum and I think Arbitrum Nova specifically, what are they building on Arbitrum Nova? Yeah. So they are, as you said, both part of the infrastructure and helping um, run the data committee and also building on the chain. 
Uh, what they're building is called community points and it's really, really cool. And actually going back and you know, I've been in the, this blockchain space for a bunch of years. I remember like, this was one of the early things people talk about. Wouldn't it be cool if Reddit like, you know, did a, their, their point system on the blockchain and what community points is, it's live in, you know, particular subreddits today is a point system where you participate in the community, you comment, you, you upvote, et cetera. And you get these points, which are actually blockchain tokens delivered on Arbitrum. And, and the reason why that's you know so cool um, is because now users have self-sovereignty over these points. So no longer can Reddit say, hey, I'm shutting down your account and now you lose your points. So users actually keep those points and they control those points. And they're not controlled in a centralized database. It's actually pretty, pretty forward thinking of Reddit to, to offer this to users and to somewhat give up this control over these points, but it's also very, very, very powerful. And you know the reason why it's powerful is because it's an open ecosystem. It's on Arbitrum Nova and anyone else can launch an app here as well. I can launch a game and the currency in my game are these Reddit community points, right? That's something which I can totally do. So you're not only having the, you know, Reddit's um, foundational, you know, um, community points here, but you actually can have an ecosystem that builds around community points, you know, which is powerful. And, and Reddit is very for, you know, forward thinking. One thing, you know, that, that, I think is a bit different from in 2017, there was a lot of, hey, let's put this industry on the blockchain. Let's like take all your health records and put it on the blockchain. Terrible idea if you ask me, by the way. Now it's like, no, we're not putting Reddit on the blockchain because it makes a lot of sense for Reddit to be a web two company, but is there a way that the blockchain can help Reddit? Is there a piece that it makes sense? And you know, even though it's minimalistic compared, hey, let's put Reddit on the blockchain, it's a lot more thoughtful and it actually makes sense. And that's why I think it's so cool. It's, it's a sign of maturity of this tech. Yeah, it's also a sign of maturity that I, I don't think, um, you know, to its users, Reddit is saying, this is now our points are on the blockchain, right? It's kind of like happening behind the scenes and it's sort of the, the infrastructure behind this point system too, uh, which is really neat. And like, yeah, I guess when you have an open economy like this, you can imagine all sorts of different use cases like, you know, taking shape, like the, the you know keyboard warrior reddit moderator who's like spending a lot of time moderating earning those points getting those upvotes right uh, now they can use defi with those points take out a collateralized loan on your uh reddit community points like how crazy is that how cool is that and that's what we're talking about unleashing because uh, nitro of course can be bridged back to ethereum or uh, you can bridge assets from, from uh, or excuse me, Nova back to Nitro, for example. So we've just unlocked the entire Ethereum economy for something like Reddit points. And I imagine they're, they're probably planning a, a slow roll on this. So they haven't done this across all of their subreddits, but um, can, can Nova actually handle the scale of something like, like Reddit? Yeah, so so they have done this. Um, it's in two communities now, but um, definitely Nova can handle a lot, a lot more uh, than that. And yeah, I do think Nova is well positioned to to handle uh, you know the capacity of Reddit here and others building it in in, in Reddit's uh, ecosystem. And you know, actually, this is to me, it's 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 the vision. People, you've probably heard people say like, "Oh, let's get the next billion users on the blockchain." And and how do we do that? It's not by me going on Twitter and like finding a billion users to you know install MetaMask and try something out. It's it's by taking the tapping into these existing communities. And so yes, I think we're actually with Arbitrum Nitro and Arbitrum Nova built on the Nitro stack. I do think we're at that point of maturity where we can actually handle the scale. We can say, "Hey, Reddit." Or hey, you know, to the Redis of the world, we're ready for your user base. You can on onboard your users onto the blockchain. Many of these users for the first time, but once they come, they'll probably stay and do something else, or at least many of them will. 
And um, absolutely, you know, I do think uh, we're ready for that. And we'll continue to expand that capacity on our next birthday. <laughs> da- da- yes, next birthday, a lot of pressure for that. I know David's got something to say, but I just want to underscore for the audience because you mentioned 2017, like um, this is such a sea change from what we saw in 2017, right? So we have Reddit now using underlying blockchain technology, right? Um, we also had uh, Facebook, Meta, adding blockchain NFT tech to Instagram and, and like Facebook. Like it's happening, it's finally happening. And in, in 2017, if we could like, if you had told me in 2017 that uh, Meta, like Facebook, Instagram and Reddit would be using the blockchain today, using Ethereum today, I would have been like blown away and over the moon bullish and like probably would have bought a lot more ETH at that time, Dave. <laughs> but uh, you gotta say something. Well, Ryan, you said earlier uh, something about um, uh, like moderators collateralizing their community points and doing stuff in DeFi with it. And maybe the listener heard that and was like, that's crazy. Why would they ever do that? I would like to uh, let list some listeners know who perhaps haven't heard this story, but this has actually already happened uh, with Reddit, uh, R ETH trader donuts. Uh, and so there's already been a token enabled subreddit that put donuts into Uniswap and had a very liquid, relatively liquid donut pair. Uh, and it's really up to the community to figure out the financialization of their own token. So like, well, that might have like been like, oh, that's a crazy concept that's just out there. Uh, it's actually already been done before. Uh, and so I think that this was really just one of the early use cases that, that was actually shown to Reddit that some communities are like ready and able and willing to like lean into some of this weird crypto stuff. Uh, and so it's probably where Reddit got some of these ideas. But Stephen Harris, I want to ask you about like, does the super cheap and super low gas uh, data costs of Arbitrum Nova, is this at all competitive with like a ZK rollup? If we are adding like another order of magnitude of cheapness of the data for uh, for Arbitrum Nova, why why would a ZK rollup like how do how is a ZK rollup relevant to this, or would a ZK rollup be able to do this? And is something like a data availability committee that Arbitrum Nova has competitive in that same sort of landscape as a ZK rollup? Yeah, so I, I'd say similar to what we touched on before, that if I was, you know, um, apples to apples, I would say the op- an optimistic rollup is competitive to a ZK rollup, at least in terms of technology. I'll talk about like cost in a second. And um, uh, Nova or the antitrust technology is probably an, an analogous to the ZK rollups called Validium. Uh, so that's probably how I would I would say that. And basically, what Validium is is zk proofs plus data off chain. Um, so that's and in terms of cost, I you know I think um, I think that they're actually going to be you know relatively cost cost compatible as well. I think I, you know my, my personal take is, and at least from everything I've seen to date, is optimistic rollups will be cheaper at least for a long time than zk rollups. Um, and if you take all that data and put it off chain, then I think the same thing will hold for Nova to Validiums as well. So, um, you know, there, there's a tendency some people have is to say, compare Arbitrum today to, um, you know, some future ZK rollup in the future. Um, that, that, you know, but in terms of systems that are live today, and, you know, we have a lot of birthdays in store. Um, and that's, you know, it's important to remember, which is the same way, you know, we will, our future will not look like, like today, today either. So I think today Arbitrum Nitro is, um, the cheapest and most compatible general purpose rollup that exists across ZK and Optimistic. And I think Nova will hold that spot for, for um, data availability chains. And are there any, to, oh, sorry, go ahead, Harry. Oh, oh yeah, no, I just wanted to jump in and, and add there. Cause actually I, I want to, I want to disagree with Steven and say, 
Nova is way better. Um, because basically sort of the, the big the big thing that Nova has over over Validiums is that there's sort of Validiums have to do proofs. Uh, Validiums have to generate these big expensive ZK proofs that take a lot of computing power. Um, and that like in the roll-up space, there's an argument that it like kind of they, there's some compression advantages. There's sort of some trade-offs you can say, well, they do more computation, but then they can avoid posting some data. Um, for Validiums and antitrust chains where data is cheap, um, that's just a, a really clear, clean win for, for, for any trust chains that sort of there isn't any, that there's this big expense that Validiums have that, that Nova just doesn't have. There you go. That's Harry thrown down. Bring it. Bring it, ZK rollups. <laughs> so guys, let's uh, zoom back out into the uh, app layer of Arbitrum. We're still calling this thing Arbitrum 1, not Arbitrum Nitro. This is like the Nitro upgrade to Arbitrum, right? Yeah, so yes. um, I think before we have uh, Arbitrum Nitro is the software stack sure. that's actually powering both Arbitrum 1 and Arbitrum Nova. Right. And it's admittedly very, you know, I'm sure confusing. So thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. So on, on Arbitrum, the Arbitrum that people know and love and use mostly, the Arbitrum that they're familiar with, uh, the app layer is pretty damn robust. Uh, we, we had uh, the Treasure ecosystem founders on for a very high energy um, uh, uh, interview that I did with them. Uh, there's also GMX, which is definitely taking crypto Twitter by storm. Overall, like what else is going on in the Arbitrum app layer that really gets you guys excited? Uh, I know you're not allowed to pick favorites amongst your children, but uh, is there any dApps that you guys particularly enjoy or are users of? Yeah, um, you know, I think you, you hit on some of the, uh, the big ones, which is, of course, Treasure, uh, GMX, but there are some others that are, that are, are really, really, um, and, and you know, I'm for sure going to miss somebody. So I apologize in advance to all those people, <laughs> but like, you know, particular ones that, that I'm excited about are also uh, Mycelium, uh, FutureSwap, um, also um, you, you mentioned GMX, Umami, Vesta, uh, you know, and, and the, the, the theme here is, you know, there, and of course all the layer one, like apps, DeFi apps, you know, Uniswap, SushiSwap, Curvabi are there too. But the cool thing is that we're enabling something like the DeFi 2.0 that they almost, it's interesting. They almost use the DeFi 1.0 as infrastructure, right? Mm -hmm. Like they, they'll build and you know, you know tap into Uniswap pools and or Sushi Swap pools, and that's you know something which we really enable. That um, to me, to me, there there are really two exciting things about the apps that we enable in Arbitrum. One is um, doing Uniswap but cheaper, and that's really important because you know traders, retail traders who were priced out before can now use Uniswap and they can do a hundred dollar trade, and the fee doesn't like dwarf the purpose of the trade. But then there's also like the GMXs are things that you couldn't do this on, on layer one. The transactions are just too large and expensive, but really, really great product that you can do on layer two. So those are the, the things that I'm most excited about. And I, I, I fell through the, fell into the trap of, of, of listing some names and I'm sure I, I will get in trouble for this later, <laughs> but I'm excited about all of our children. As you <laughs> Steven, Harry has the, uh, treasure community gotten you to, to do, uh, an E yet. E. <laughs> what is this? Wait, what is this? What is an E? I don't know. It's an internal meme to this community. I don't know how it came about. They had me do it on the live stream too. I don't know how I it came about a, either. <laughs> I think I made a bad pun on Twitter the other day where they were talking about gaming and instead of triple A, I said triple E. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay, guys. Uh, so hypothetically, if there was a token to be associated with Arbitrum, what would its huh. ticker name be? Just mm. out of curiosity, what, what would you call the ticker name? Yeah. 
It's a great question. I, I don't know the answer to that question. Maybe some users in the comments have some suggestions. I will, I'll read them. <laughs> so I thought I, of like ARB because ARB's like ARB for arbitrage. Capturing the arbitrage name as your ticker name would be pretty cool. But ARB also just sounds fun. No, no, no. Just how would you spell right ARB? Though? Would it be A R B I or R B? Yeah. That's a no. R B I E. Or maybe you just like R B, right? Like that. Mm. I know it's not like A R B Y, like Arby's. And if I was this hypothetical token, when would we learn the name of this hypothetical token? Like when, <laughs> wow. when would we learn about this? So, so let me tell you this actually, because it actually relates a lot to, to our launch today and what we're doing. Our team is tech first. And that, that is the most important thing for us. And the reason for that is because, you know, as I think you share this belief, we're not building tech for, you know, we're not trying to win in a week or a month. We're trying to build tech for, for decades and generations. And we think it's going to be really foundational for a very, very long time. So getting the tech right first, you know, even before we think about any of these questions, like having mature tech is, is critically important to us and, and, and the most important to us. So uh, we wouldn't really even honestly engage with this, um, uh, you know, before, um, say, our tech is mature. And the good news is Arbitrum Nitro definitely goes a long way to, um the maturity of our tech. And now, um, obviously, we do want to, um, you know, continue on the path of decentralization of, of our protocol. So, you know, we will be engaging with these and thinking about these questions very, very strongly. But to us, it is tech first. And the tech, um, you know, the good news is that the tech is um, pretty mature now with, with the launch of, of Nitro. So I have nothing specific uh, to share th uh, today on, 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 on that, unfortunately, only to say that, um, you know, now that the tech is out of the way, some of these questions of how do we decentralize, how do we involve the community more uh, in the protocol become very, very uh, important to us. And we will definitely consider uh, various options there. Um, and um, we will, you will absolutely be first to know when we have anything to announce. But we do have some really cool initiatives that are, that are coming up in plan. So please, you Beautiful. know, you, uh, what about uh, the remaining, like, so we got Nitro out the door. So now like Arbitrum is now seven Ethereums. So like check that box of scale uh, for, for Arbitrum. What are the other like check boxes that are really on the list that you would consider on the path towards maturity for Arbitrum tech? Yeah, so Arbitrum has, you know, we call it in, running in beta mode today. And what that means is um, a few things. We have some checks and guardrails uh, in place. Um, around things like who can validate and who can uh, uh, do that. It's actually not just, just us anymore. There are some others involved. The Ethereum Foundation is validating, but opening that up and continuing to do that is, you're gonna see uh, more on that in, in uh, relatively short order, exciting announcements coming there. So some, some alpha. Is that, um, is that the same conversation as decentralizing the sequencer? That was my next point, okay. um, decentralizing cool. the sequencer. So um, that's more um, further, uh, that's decentralizing validation. Decentralized the sequencer is the idea of, um, the sequencer is relatively limited in what it can do. Like if the sequencer, it can't censor because there's a force on a, a layer one, you can just post a transaction to layer one. It can't like post a bad transaction. The only thing the sequencer can do is reorder transactions or extract MEV um, as the term is. We uh run the sequencer today and don't do that we, we pr process tra transactions in the order that they come in but decentralizing the sequencer is a way to say hey how can we have many people running the sequencer so logically there's one sequencer but under the hood it's a bunch of people running this and you have run this with a protocol that is called fear ordering and it's something that i worked on during my time at cornell 
uh, a fair ordering BFT protocol or fair ordering consensus protocol that says, hey, we're running the sequencer in a way that it can't reorder transactions. So really try to minimize MEV. So that's something which is um, also coming up um, on our roadmap in, in pretty short order and, and uh, have some really, really good initiatives uh, running internally there as well. Well, you guys have uh, certainly been hard at work for a very long time, and it's obvious from the energy in this chat here uh, that the community that you have corralled around your protocol is also just big fans. Uh, and in the, with the robustness of both the DeFi and the, D and the NFT ecosystem on Arbitrum, uh, the, the future looks very bright. Uh, so onwards to uh, birthday number two. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much for having us. Stephen, always such a blast. Yeah, it's been great to have you guys. So thank you so much. And David, what what I heard from this is um, when token, yeah, when the tech is mature and the tech is almost mature yeah. enough. Mm -hmm. go, That's what I heard. Got to go. Got to finish puberty, and we're going through puberty as we speak. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there we go. And of course, guys, if you want to get started on Arbitrum, actually the Bankless newsletter, which is a fantastic newsletter that you should subscribe to. Recently posted an article about. How to get started in Arbitrum includes the Arbitrum Starter Pack. Uh, so that will guide you there. And we do encourage, of course, you guys, as we're exploring the frontier together, go explore a rollup. Uh, layer one is not enough anymore. You need to think about migrating to a rollup, and Arbitrum could be one of those that you consider. As always, risks and disclaimers as we close. ETH is risky. So is crypto. So is DeFi. You could definitely lose what you put in, whether it's on layer one or layer two. We're headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.